in the grocery industry, you know, numbers are everything, margins are everything. Grocery stores operate on such razor thin margins. So if you don't handle those the right way, they can get away from you like really, really quick. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. Growing a consumer packaged goods or CPG brand is uniquely challenging. Not only will you need a product that consumers are willing to pay for, but you'll also be required to win over your distributors and partners. Even if you succeed in developing your customers' channels, you might still fail if you can't figure out how to manage your supply chain and cash flow. In today's episode, we have our guest, Aman Elani, from Sahol Cold Brew, who discusses the unique challenges and important metrics for a consumer brand and a food and beverage company. We also had a chance to discuss the secrets behind his company's exponential growth in the Boston market. Finally, we touched on how LinkedIn has helped him raise awareness about his brand in a space where he competes with powerful brands like Starbucks. Let me introduce Aman to you. Born and raised in Dubai, Aman Ilani grew up around a coffee culture. Arabian coffee pots, rich aromas of dark roast beans, and the sweet smell of dates filled every home he was in. While still very young and his company early stage, he has already created a buzz about Sahol Cold Brew around Boston and social media with expansion of distribution forecasted for 2021. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Okay, amazing. So to kick things off, I would like to start with your uh, personal story as well as what you are focusing on these days. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Aman Alani, born and raised in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Um, lived there for the first 17 years of my life. And I came over to America in 2016 for college. Had a really, really good experience in college at Bentley University, just outside of Boston. Studied entrepreneurship. I played on the golf team there. And yeah, I started my, my cold brew coffee company. So before we get deeper into that, and I'm, I obviously have a ton of questions on your introduction. But one question that we ask everyone is going to be your perspective on growth. What does growth mean to you, Aman? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was really excited to be here and talk about this. So for us in, you know, the CPG, FMCG industry, growth is can be seen as this big thing, you know, like you're in every supermarket, every grocery store, um, every brand in the country. But the reality is, and the honest truth is that for smaller businesses, for emerging brands, that can honestly be really dangerous sometimes. And for me, for our company right now, growth looks like just being slow, being strategic, taking our time and making sure we, we have our finances and we have our money in the right place before we, you know, just blitz scale and 
get super big all of a sudden. So that's a very interesting perspective. I have not heard that before. So when you say it could be dangerous, my assumption is going to be you are speaking more in line towards spending way too much and then running out of cash, right? So how do you typically plan in a way that you are not burning yourself out? Yeah, I think I think for us, um, so just to blow background on our products, so we make a cold brew coffee. So it's like an iced coffee in a can um, and they're sold in grocery stores. So just for us, you know, um, it could be really easy for us to pump a whole ton of cash into, you know, brokers, merchandisers, distributors and get our product into 5,000 stores in the first year. But then if we don't have the ability or the finances to then support that placement in those stores within our first year, you know, that's not really going to be doing much for us. So for us, growth specifically within the CPG, FMCG space is really just going slowly about it and making sure that we're taking one step at a time in the right order. And for right now, that looks like uh, starting in, you know, about 20 stores just here in New England, measuring our velocity, measuring our data, and then using that to our advantage to to grow in the right way. Okay. So velocity is a very important term that you mentioned that. And uh, I have read you talk about that on your LinkedIn profile as well. So what is velocity when it comes to cold brew industry? Could you touch a bit on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically velocity essentially just measures the speed or the rate at which your product is selling. So for example, for us, so a case for us is 12 cans, 12 cans in one case. And for us, velocity looks like how fast are we selling a case? You know, so currently that number is between nine and 14 days. It takes us to sell one case, which is really good for the coffee space, but specifically the perishable product space, which is the broader category in which we operate in. So that's really important for us. And basically, the higher your velocity, the quicker it is. The more frequently that grocery stores have to reorder your product, the better it looks because it shows that you're a fast moving product. It shows that people are not just buying it, but they're returning for more. So that's just one of the many, many reasons that velocity, specifically case velocity, is so, so important for us. Okay, interesting. So I don't know, you know, where you are in terms of your growth journey, and I don't know how much uh, revenue you are doing at this point of time. But when you measure the velocity, how are you measuring? What is your uh, system landscape like? Are you doing accounting on QuickBooks? Do you have any systems in place at this point of time to measure your KPIs? How are you running your operations? Absolutely. Absolutely. So QuickBooks is QuickBooks is really important for us um, in the grocery industry. You know, numbers are everything. Margins are everything. Grocery stores operate on such razor thin margins. So if you don't handle those the right way, they can get away from you like really, really quick. So that's just one way that we we measure what we're doing. But specifically also... Another way we do it is just through our relationships with grocery stores, with our distributor, stuff like that. You know, the more information we can get from them, the better it usually is. Um, so they're really kind to us and they provide us with a lot of really solid, solid information on, you know, how our product is selling, in what stores, in what channel, um, and at what velocity, which is the most important part. Okay, interesting. So when you talk about these different stores... Are these mom and pop stores? Are you at the big brand stores at this point of time? Can you touch your customer landscape if you if you don't mind? You don't have to name them, uh, but just tell me, you know, how many big stores you have, how many mom, mom and pop you have. Yeah, absolutely. So we're in around 15 stores in the New England area right now. Um, we've only launched for about two and a half months, so we are very, very new to the market, but we've been able to 
to grow really quickly in that in that span of time. Currently, our target accounts are natural food stores, organic food stores, um, co-op grocery stores. We aren't in any big box retailers yet, but that's definitely uh, that's definitely an avenue and a, a route that we want to go down in the future. So um, I would say like organic natural food stores and kind of like the higher end grocery stores are our target market right now. Okay, interesting. And uh, where did this idea come from for the cold brew? Do you have any background in, in coffee? Does your family have any background in coffee? How did you come about this idea for cold brew? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I actually never drank coffee until my freshman year in college. I was staying up late one night, very early on in my first few weeks, and I needed something to keep me going. I needed a way to stay awake to study, and I had nothing available to me. So I go to the the vending machine and I grab one of those uh, refrigerated like frappe type cold brews and I open it and I drink and it's so much sugar in it that I, you know, the coffee doesn't even work. I have a sugar crash. So I think, okay, like there has to be a way to solve this. So I buy my own cold brew maker actually, and I take it back home with me to Dubai and I started visiting local coffee shops, local roasters, and I started making my own cold brew, which I do for the next four years. And over the course of those four years, I basically learned the ins and outs of coffee, cold brew, and everything there is to it. For my senior year, which is when we actually have to start and launch our own businesses in order to graduate. So uh, my professor looks at me and he goes, you make that uh, you make that cold brew, right? The coffee? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, why don't you just put that in a can? So um, I start talking to manufacturers. I start talking to producers. And uh, one thing led to another. And here we are today in about 15 stores across Boston. Okay, so tell me a little bit about, you know, obviously there are a lot of different uh, cold brews and, and, and you mentioned that sugar is one of the factors uh, that could be your differentiator. But, you know, coffee market, in my opinion, could be crowded, right? So how are you differentiating yourself in the market? For sure, for sure. It's a really um, competitive landscape, especially in the grab-and-go beverages and single-serve. But the biggest thing we have going for us is really the fact that we're all natural, so... We don't have any preservatives. We have no additives. We have no sugar, no dairy. We're gluten-free, zero carbs. We're honestly, our product, product is zero calories. And the only two ingredients we have are coffee grinds and filtered water. So it's a really natural process. And that's kind of the biggest thing we have going for us. But also another thing that we really leverage is the fact that we're a, a local independent brand. I think our consumers and our target audience really resonates with that. They realize that when they buy our product, when they drink our coffee, they're supporting a local brand. And yeah, we, we appreciate that support. And that's a big reason of why we've we've come so far. Interesting. So when you say local brand, uh, does that mean the local brand from New England? Because uh, when we were talking about your name, uh, you know, your name was Hall in the pre-show. And that has the Irish meaning. So typically when you talk about local brand, I have seen some of the Canadian brands here and they would probably have the Canadian flag. So how are you communicating your local values? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, we're local. We're local to New England. That's kind of our, our thing. That's kind of what we do. We communicate local values mostly with our retail partnerships. So a lot of the, a lot of the stores that we link up with, a lot of the partners that we have, they're all local stores. You know, they, they support other local products. And yeah, we make that really clear on, on social media and we make that really clear in, in everything that we do through our marketing efforts. Okay, interesting. So since you mentioned that the, the preservatives, right, uh, and that seems to be the key factor, 
in your product. So how does that differ from the manufacturing perspective and why the other brands that we have in the market, uh, you know, for example, Starbucks, I'm pretty sure you are probably competing with them too, right? So why are they not able to do what you are doing? That is number one. And number two is how is your manufacturing process going to change just because you are not using any preservatives? Yeah. Um, well, I think I think obviously Starbucks is doing a lot of things right uh, for them to get as big as they've gotten. Um, I think Starbucks, you know, has really cracked the code on a lot of things. But how we differentiate ourselves is really just through the way we roast and we brew our coffee. So our coffee is roasted more on the lighter side. Um, you know, it's not a dark roast at all. It's very fruity, it's very floral, it's very chocolatey, um, which is what our consumers really, really love. So. That's something that's working really well for us. And from a manufacturing side, you know, not too different. I would say we're a lot smaller manufacturing-wise than Starbucks is. But we we make the most of that and we really maximize our dollars. Okay, so from the process perspective, I would like to, uh, you know, dig deeper into that. So from your facility, if I take a tour of your facility, walk me through your facility, how that is going to look like. Is it going to have just a just a brewer or grinder? Do you have commercial grinders right now? Do you not have commercial grinders? So how's your manufacturing facility at this point of time? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So in the CPG space, um, there's there's something known as co-packers, stands for contract packers or contract packaging. Um, and basically what that is, is instead of you know owning your own facilities and buying your own equipment, you are paying another company that already has facilities to make your product and you pay them on a flat rate per fees basis. So that's what we do. That's the biggest reason we've been able to stay so lean. We've been able to stay um, honestly profitable from such a such an early point is we, we haven't invested mass amounts of capital into, into equipment. So just a high overview of what the facility that we currently work out of looks like. Um, we obviously have big brewing vats where our coffee actually gets brewed coffee is ground and then it's put in there and it's steeped with cold water. But apart from that, we also have a full canning line, which is where, you know, the actual coffee gets filled into cans, the label gets put on, the can lid is applied, and then it's kind of like shot out into like a, a tray where it's then packed into 12 packs. So it's honestly pretty basic. Another big, big thing is water filtration. That's that's really important in good coffee. Um, good coffee starts with good, good water. So um, our filtered water is, is pretty big in what we do. And yeah, it's a, it's a super, super neat process. Aman, uh, you know, we wanted to talk about the manufacturing process. So obviously we uh, spoke about different collaborators that you mentioned and uh, you mentioned about, uh, you mentioned about your contract packaging company. So I'm simply looking for the information, number one, that is flowing back and forth, the inventory that is flowing back and forth and how your manufacturing process looks when you let's say initiate the job order at the start of your manufacturing process and you have the finished good so walk me through the the entire manufacturing process yeah absolutely so so our coffee is made with a blend of um, central south american and african beans so that so those beans are obviously roasted to the appropriate roast level and then they're ground after they're ground the coffee beans are then put in like a massive container almost, if you can imagine, like a like a vat, and it's filled with cold water. So the coffee and the water, they kind of mix, and it kind of just sits there for 24 hours. 
And then that resulting liquid essentially is what our actual product is. So that's what cold brew is. It's coffee grinds steeped in cold water for 24 hours. So that liquid is then put through a, a canning line and obviously cans flow through the line. So the can comes in, it gets filled, the lid gets added, it gets labeled, and then it shoots out where it's then packed into trays with 12 cans each. So it's a super, super quick process, but the actual brewing takes over close to 24 hours to make sure that it's, it's the right level. Okay. So when you did your research, and I'm pretty sure you compared this with, um, you know, the other manufacturing verticals. So how was the brewing different from the other manufacturing verticals that you compared? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we, when we were looking to start this, we, we shopped around and we, we talked to a, a couple of different contract manufacturers. We essentially just landed on the one that we did, mostly more than anything, just because of the relationship that we had. The conversation just flowed easier. I was able to trust them a lot more. So as far as verticals go, you know, this was pretty much the only way that cold brew can be made, especially in the way that we wanted it. But the, the eventual company that we settled on um, solely because of the relationship and they've been amazing to work with, especially in our industry. You know, it's the relationship is everything, everything from, you know, demand forecasting, planning to um, actual execution, storage and then obviously getting the product out to stores, they've been just just rock stars in the whole process. And I, I can't thank them enough. So that relationship is really crucial. And it's, it's the biggest reason we, we went with them. Okay. So when you were exploring these vendors, and sometimes, you know, it could be a challenging relationship to manage, right? Because I don't know, you know, how much volume you have uh, yeah, and yeah. how much volume their other customers have, right? And probably yeah. you are going to be a small fish. Uh, and I don't know, again, uh, how big this manufacturer is. So how do you manage the expectation, especially if you are getting a lot of different bulk orders from your customers and you have to deliver on time? If you don't deliver, then you lose the customer. So it's sort of the double-edged sword there, right? So how do you manage that? Yeah, Um I think it just comes down to communication, right? So, so right from the beginning, um, I let them know. And I think they were very appreciative. I was like, look, I'm not going to be your biggest customer by any means, but we have a really solid base of accounts and we're going to have a really great distributor. So um, essentially, we just deal with one large purchase order at a time that goes straight to a distributor. And then the distributor then essentially distributes it to the store. So we don't supply like one case at a time, but we do one massive order and then the distributor kind of like uh, parcels that out to stores as and when they need it. So that was honestly a big part of it, just making our communication just very clear with them from the beginning, saying we're going to be consistent. We're going to be great. We're going to hold up our end of the bargain. But this is what you're getting from us. And they, they really appreciated it. Um, and they've been, like I said, just amazing to work with. Okay, amazing. And, and I mean, based on the amount of duration that you mentioned, you have actually made the phenomenal progress here, in my opinion. <laughs> okay, if it is really the work of yeah. two and a half months, <laughs> that's, that's impressive. <laughs> so let's say if I'm the, the e-commerce merchant and I probably uh, want to start my own brand, okay, and I'm actually trying to set up all of these uh, these channels and customers as well. So where would you recommend me starting? Um, I think the biggest thing is once you once you have a product that you think can can really do something, and once you have a product that you think customers are willing to open their their wallets and actually purchase, the biggest thing is testing it. So one thing we did is we did a small test. So basically, we made seventy cases, and then I hit up seventy of my friends, seventy people, and I asked them to buy one case each and let me know their thought. Once I knew that okay, 
the majority of the people like the product, think this is good, would actually buy this. Then we went ahead and started talking to grocery stores and started getting into stores. But by far, the biggest thing is just testing your assumptions, um, which is really, really common in the, in the startup space. Well, so I'm actually going to challenge you on that, okay? <laughs> please, so, please. Uh, you know, testing testing with your friends is not really a good test, to be honest, okay? The reason for that is because they are going to be nice to you. They are going to probably, I mean, and this is not a very expensive product, right? So they should be willing to take out, let's say, 5 or $10 or whatever your, your coffee is costing. Right. So it's not really a good test. I mean, you can't actually do your demand forecasting based on a test that is done on friends. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so how would you overcome that? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, I wish <laughs> I wish we, we didn't have to do it just on friends, but I launched during COVID and I don't think it would have been appropriate to um, stand outside a grocery store and ask people to, to talk to me outside a grocery store. But no, I, I completely agree. You know, that was definitely a risky test if you want to call it but look long term big picture is paid off because the information that we gathered from that even if it was from my friends you know it, it's paid off we're seeing great velocity you know we're in like you said we've, we've had great growth we've it, it's paid off basically um so if i had to go back would i test again on my friends probably not but i didn't really have another option at that time and i think that's better than nothing interesting so what was the next step so okay so in this case, maybe you got lucky or whatever, you know, I would not recommend anybody testing on their friends. But yeah, you had your challenges uh, with respect to COVID, which is completely understandable, right? So uh, what was the next natural step? So when you put this on um, uh, grocery stores based on the test that you have done with your friends, uh, did you select any specific store? Did you have any data to support which stores you want to go after? What was that process like? For sure, for sure. So our product... Um you know, just the nature of it, sugar-free, dairy-free, natural product, it performs best in natural food stores. So yes, we can go, you know, to the big stores like Walmart, Costco, and, you know, we're going to see amazing, I'm sure we would have seen amazing turns there, but getting into those stores, as, as you might know, can be expensive and can be costly for a young startup brand. So the biggest, the biggest kind of store we tried to go after was just natural, you know, organic food stores, health shops, and that's where, even to this day, we are seeing our most our most success. Okay, interesting. So when you interacted with these guys, what were some of the questions that they asked? Because obviously they didn't know you, they didn't know your brand, right? And they must be pitched by a lot of different brands. So what were some of the initial questions that you got? Yeah. Um, so a typical a typical buyer. So we talked to grocery buyers, and a typical buyer pitch. You know, you start off, you give a little background on your brand, um, you let them know who you distribute your product with. And then the next natural question is, how much is your product? Like, how much do we pay to get it? How many cans come in a case? You know, what promotional offers do you, do you guys do? What marketing support do you do? And essentially, a lot of generic questions. But to cut through that noise, what they're really asking is, can we trust you? Um, I think the biggest thing buyers want to know is, you are this brand, brand that we're going to bring in. We're going to give you shelf space. We're going to put you, you know, in a position where you can sell it. But can we actually trust you? So essentially, to cut through all their noise, is they just asking, prove to me that we can trust you. And building that trust is, is very important. So, okay, so that's very interesting because I would like to know a little bit more about that. So how do you build trust in case of a food product, right? Because it could be a huge risk for them. You could be anybody and you could be selling anything. And yeah. because of that, there could be 
life-threatening situation, right? So let's say if I'm the buyer and if I've never bought anything from, from you, how would you build that trust? Yeah, and honestly, you know, well, from a high level, the, the manufacturing facility that we have, um, you know, we're on amazing terms with the FDA, which is, I would assume, a great place to start. Um, but that's never that's never come up. What's actually come up is prove to me that by putting your brand on the shelf, it's going to sell. Like prove to me that I'm not I'm not silly for giving you a shot. And honestly, the first store, the first store is the hardest to convince. But then after that, what we can do is we can just use the data that we have, the sales data that we have, the velocity data we have, and just use those KPIs to pitch to other stores. And, and to be very frank with you, it's pitching to our 10th store and getting to our 10th store was way easier than getting to our first store. The first one was really the, the biggest one to, to overcome. Yeah, it's always like that. Yeah, first one is always difficult because you don't have data, you don't have trusted brand, you don't have a champion who can really communicate for you, right? So Absolutely. yeah, I agree that the first one is definitely going to be going to be uh, difficult. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome uh, other than sales? Um, I'm trying to think here. Um, I honestly think just, just big picture, the, the biggest thing to overcome was the fact that I was a, I was a 20, 21 year old boy at the time. Well, I'm 22 now, but I was a 21 year old boy who was trying to take this, this big risk, um, and, you know, try to convince them that I should be the next guy they should be giving a chance to. Um, uh, that was, that was definitely the hardest thing. Um, I got overlooked a lot. A lot of people wouldn't work with me just because they said I had no experience, but I was willing to build that experience, you know, and, Everyone has to start somewhere. So I was just really grateful for the first few people that gave me a shot and gave me an opportunity opportunity to, to show what I can do. Yeah, and that could be a very difficult situation because I was in your shoes, what, 20 years back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was very hard to convince. So, okay, tell me what you have done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's so true, you know, like guys come to you with that question or, or grocery buyers come to you with that question. Like there are all these we carry four big name brands. Why should I give you a chance? You know, like there's no guarantee that you will sell as much as they do. And I say, you know, that's right. There, there is no guarantee. But by taking a chance on me, you know, you're placing your bet on something that could become the next big thing in the world of coffee. So it's been really fun trying to explore that and just continuing to overcome, you know, all these obstacles. Okay, amazing. So I don't know if you are invested at this point of time, you know, do you have any investors backing you? How much was the capital that you had to secure? And again, you don't need to be specific. I'm simply trying to get ballpark here. Let's say if somebody's trying to start the coffee business, what should they keep in mind? Yeah, um, I think there's this real notion, especially on LinkedIn and you know other things, that all you see are these big brands that raise five, ten million, and they go after the the big retailers. But I'm going to be very honest with you. We've we've put in very very little money. We have not raised investor money. You know, it's family backed, it's family owned. Um, so without getting into specifics, like it's an average production run would not be costing you more than $2,000. Like it wouldn't be costing you more than one to $2,000 to make a full, like full run of production. But we'd have to be really smart with our money. You know, we get pitched a lot of services. We get pitched a lot of things. People try to convince us that we need this, we need that. And the honest truth is that you don't. What you really need is a good sales pitch. You need a solid product and you need numbers in place to show that your product is selling. And that's what we've been able to do. And yes, we are growing a little slower than some of the bigger brands, but we're growing, you know, and we're, we're taking one step after another. And I'm really excited to see how 
how the future goes. Okay, interesting. And uh, I noticed that you are very active on LinkedIn as well. And that is uh, definitely one of my areas where I like to focus during my podcast interviews, because obviously LinkedIn could be powerful. So tell me why you are on LinkedIn. That is number one. And number two, what is your biggest channel in terms of revenue? Obviously, stores are there, but are you able to recruit some of these stores from the LinkedIn or are they coming to you from website or personal interaction? Tell me, uh, you know, how are your revenue channels set up and where you are acquiring them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll answer the second question first. All of our revenue basically comes from the stores that we get, which who work with our distributor. So our distributor has, you know, a massive list of stores that they service. And we basically, through that list, we're able to get, you know, pitch our product to stores because we know that they already use our distributor. So that's the biggest one. It's brick and mortar sales. And then LinkedIn, have we made any sales because of LinkedIn? Not really, probably not. But the biggest thing that LinkedIn does is it helps us to develop our brand awareness. Um, you know, being a startup brand, being a younger brand, we don't have the same national reputation that other brands do. So by posting every day and by, you know, kind of letting people in behind the scenes of what it takes to run a CPG brand, I'm able to build a really solid brand awareness through just vulnerability, being transparent. And to be fully honest, like we go, we, I give away all our secrets on LinkedIn. <laughs> Apart from our gross margins and unit, unit economics, you can find out everything that I've ever needed to figure out about my brand on my LinkedIn. So just being transparent has really helped us. And, you know, we've, we we are starting to gain a nice following and people are tuning into my posts. So that's that's pretty cool. Right. So you mentioned that you don't have the the relatable ROI from LinkedIn, but you do believe that LinkedIn is somehow helping you. So let's say the folks who are not on LinkedIn, what would be your recommendation for them? Absolutely. You know, there's... LinkedIn and TikTok are very similar in the sense that there's a massive, massive content deficit on there. Um, you know, there's way more eyeballs than there are thumbs, which is to say that there are more people looking at posts than actually posting. You know, and there's only 0.5% of people who are active on LinkedIn post once a week. So um, organic reach is huge. And I think that if you just show up and if you just start talking and if you just start sharing your experiences, you know, it doesn't even have to be deep. It doesn't have to be insightful or analytical. Just just start sharing your experiences, connect with people from your industry and, you know, the greater industry with which you're part of. And um, I think you can really see some some pretty cool things happen. Okay, Man. So that's pretty much it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to just encourage people that if they're thinking of starting a business, it's all talk and it's all noise until you actually start doing it. So, um, you know, if there is that idea you have in your head, just take one actionable step to put it down on paper. And I think that, you know, the natural course of events and the natural flow of events can only happen after that. So I would really just encourage people to, to take one actionable step to, to launch their business. That's a great advice, I would say, for the newer entrepreneurs. And that's going to help a lot. And your insight is going to help a lot as well. So I thank you for your time and insight. Yeah, thanks, Sam. It was great being with you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Aman or Sahol, head over to www.sipsahol.com. It's S-I-P-S-A-H-O-L.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, 
you might want to check other related episodes including the interview with Brian Burke from sellyourmac.com who touches on his growth secrets and how they became the fastest growing company on INC 5000 three times also the interview with Cory Warfield from Cory Connects where he discussed how to hack LinkedIn algorithms and grow your company using LinkedIn strategies also don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds if you have any questions or comments about the show please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or dm me on any social channels i'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help thank you and i hope to catch you on the next episode of the wbs podcast thank you for listening to another episode of the wbs podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.